0: going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for today. I have the second part of my interview with Marcellus Williams. Now, just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, on Friday, we released a the first part of the interview I did with Marcellus, and that was done after this interview you're about to listen to. Um, due to all the racial turmoil that's going on, the backlash of the murder of George Floyd... I thought it would just not do this interview justice if we had this interview and not get Marcellus' viewpoints on the whole issue, uh, primarily because Marcellus is just an extremely intelligent guy. He's a level-headed dude. He articulates an argument beautifully, and I just wanted to hear the viewpoints of that. So I highly, highly recommend you listening to the first part of this interview first. The second part of this interview was done, like, I don't know, uh, about nine or ten days ago. Uh, And it's primarily just about powerlifting, him as a coach, him as a lifter, and your prototypical Two White Lights episode. But before you listen to this episode, I highly recommend you listen to that one. You're going to learn a lot. I know I learned plenty, and that was why I had him on, so I could learn, so I could listen to him. And so far, the feedback of that first episode has been amazing. Uh, I'm really happy that you guys have liked that episode. Um, I was going to release it for... Uh, primarily my own purposes because I explained on the show that I really need to listen in times where um, there's maybe some division between people and their thoughts and their opinions, and uh, Marcellus was a great guy to kind of bridge that gap and unite people. So, again, highly recommend that you listen to that interview. And this one was awesome, and the reason why I asked Marcellus to come back on is because this one went so well. Uh, You're going to realize really quick what I'm talking about, we discuss or Marcellus's motivations to getting into fitness, kind of his journey, and how that expanded him being a coach. We talk about effective coaching practices. We also discuss the three qualities a coach should have, three qualities an effective athlete should have, his most proud moment as a coach, uh, one thing he would change about the sport of powerlifting. We play word associations as well. Awesome, awesome interview, a lot of great insight in the sport of powerlifting, and that is what this episode is primarily about. So that's why it's broken up into two parts. Again, if you haven't listened to that first episode, I highly recommend that you do so. The feedback has been great, um, and I'm really uh, grateful for that. Also, that link that I mentioned of all the resources, petitions, ways you can help protest, uh, how, ways you can support Black Lives Matter is on my bio now for 14 O Power. Um, I don't do a whole lot with the page of two white lights. I probably should, uh, as a podcast host, but I don't. So that's just kind of like a housekeeping kind of thing and updates for you guys. But before we get in our interview, some more housekeeping, got to talk to you guys about our sponsor left bros. Now I usually talk about their beanies, their baseball tees, their t-shirts, their gym banners, but they just sent me a fanny pack, and I'm not exaggerating, because I wanted the fanny pack almost ironically. But fanny packs are quite possibly the greatest invention of all time. They came in the 80s and 90s, and then people shunned them away into the 2000s, and I have no idea why, because I, I, I don't want to get into a tangent and a rant about uh, fanny packs, but they're, they're the best. They're the greatest. It's an extra set of pockets. A lot of my shorts that I have don't have pockets, so it's perfect for that. Make your life that much easier if you use promo code 2WL10 and get 10% off your order. Also, I was just outside. It's hot out. Summer is here. It's going to stay for a while. Get yourself a tank top. Uh, I might I might be inquiring about some tank tops, too, in the near future because I, I'm going to need some. Uh, it is it is getting warm out. And Leflar Bros, obviously, I love the merchandise and... You guys can look just as awesome as me in a fanny pack and tank top, potentially with a cowboy hat, if you use that promo code 2WL10 and get 10% of your order. Also, go to Rivalist.net, use promo code Angelo20, get 20% off your order on any supplement you desire, whether that be branching and amino acids, pre-workout, creatine, protein powder, pre-workout, I probably mentioned that twice, that's because how important it is, for me at least, because I've been working out at 9 o'clock at night. Get 20% of your order if you use promo code Angelo20. Also, go to lift.net to get your stoic gear. Use promo code Angelo10 and you can get 10% off of your order. I use only stoic gear on the platform and in training, and I wouldn't use it if I didn't love it. Uh, very affordable. And very high quality, and that's the two most important things, guys. You don't want to burn a hole through your pocket spending money on gear, and you're not going to with Stoic. So, again, Angelo10 to get 10% off your order. Also, considering you made it through the intro, subscribe on iTunes. We could always use those descriptions. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review as well. Also, we're available on Spotify as well. A lot of people have been listening uh, to both platforms. We don't have that Joe Rogan, like, 100 million dollar contracts are available on both platforms to make it easier for you guys um and we're also um available on two white lights.com where you can listen to the podcast there and without further ado here it is two white lights
1: oh baby i like it.
0: It is Monday, June 8th, and I got with me the meeting from Texas. You know him as the Swole Fesser. I have with me 83 kg and 74 kg powerlifter and one of the premier coaches in powerlifting right now, Delaney Williams, Marcellus Williams. I'm going to edit that part out. It is Marcellus Williams. <laughs> I could, You know what I almost did? I almost combined you and Delaney's names and made it Marcellus Wallace because Paul Fiction is my favorite movie of Dude, all time. Dude, I first
1: thought you were about to make that joke actually. I really did. I thought you were just making the joke.
0: <laughs> I was like, what am I doing right now? It is Marcellus Williams. This is Will fesser. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Yeah, uh, thank you
0: for coming on. So I had a conversation with Evan Glasgow in uh, the last two episodes of just coaching. And when people ask me what coaches they should get. And I've only had one coach. And I haven't worked and dealt with too many other coaches. Even through conversations, personal relationships, whatever. I haven't really dealt with that. So I always love having coaches on the show just so they can... Pretty much answer the question. If a lifter is curious about what their coach thinks, has to say, yeah. philosophies, they can come on Two White Lights and listen. And I think they always offer a really, really good conversation. So, first question: How did you get your start in fitness, and then how that transitioned into powerlifting?
1: Yeah. So, as far as like just general fitness, I got started at a pretty young age, actually, uh, around age eleven. So. By nature, I'm I'm more. I was always more introverted. I like mm-hmm. to kind of like you know I liked reading, I uh, liked watching cartoons stuff like that. I was always very active, like I like going outside to play and stuff like that. But I didn't necessarily have anything crazy like structured necessarily. Like at, at a young age, I like you know whatever whatever sports my uh, parents wanted to put me in at the time to try out. Uh, my dad's from the military. I uh, graduated from West Point, so he got me involved in like just body weight stuff at a really mm-hmm. early age he would do the whole thing like he pulls out a deck of cards and it's like hey if it's a red card you're doing push-ups if it's a black card you're doing pull-ups and whatever the number is it's how many you're doing so I actually hated it at first like to to me I almost thought it was more like a punishment (laughs) because it's like yo like is this because I didn't go play outside today is that what you got me doing like you know push-ups or everything like that but um over time I very quickly grew to enjoy it because one I've always liked progression just period I don't care if I'm Playing a video game, if it's the feeling of, oh, hey, I'm 100 pages into this book I'm reading, I've always kind of been wired to just, like, I like the feeling of feeling like I'm getting further along with something. Uh, so I clearly began to enjoy it. And then being somebody who was into, like, you know, anime, superheroes, and stuff like that, the fact that I'm like, oh, this helped me get stronger. That's kind of cool. So. It started with just, like, bodyweight stuff. And for the longest time, I was actually the dude who made fun of people who went to the gym. So I'm like, oh, man, these morons are paying money to go to a gym where they can just be working out at home, working out in the park. It's so stupid. I was like the calisthenics dude, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, but then around age 17 in high school, I started getting more involved, um, like, with boxing, MMA. And simply put, I realized very quickly that I'm like, yo, if I lift weights and get even stronger, it's a lot easier to knock somebody out. So that's actually that's actually what got me kind of like into lifting weights originally. Mm-hmm. But then that same kind of love and passion of just like the progression quickly came with the weights. And it was cool. It was like a whole new world. It's like, yo, there's more than just like push ups and squats and, and, and pull ups, you know what I mean? Like bodyweight squats, like like yo, all these different machines, stuff like that. So, um, I got into lifting weights and, and I was never the guy who was just like like just a bro, but I also wasn't the guy who was just into like this one deadlift. I liked everything, man. Like mm-hmm. if, if I could put weight on it, I want to get stronger on it. That's kind of how I started off. Um, and then like, you know, my senior year in high school, and this is, I guess where the seeds for, you know, training and coaching were planted. Um, but I just had friends who were being like, like you know, whenever we would, like, go to the pool or if we would be, like, in PE or whatever, and I would, like, take my shirt off. Because I wasn't big. I was just, like, like, just shredded pretty much. I was just lean. Mm-hmm. And be like, yo, what the heck, man? We're so, so <laughs> good, man. work are Bro, what do you do? Like, take me through what you do. So I started helping some friends out with that. And from kind of just seeing how the stuff that I had learned to do and so that I took the time to, like, read and watch videos on the stuff like seeing how i was able to take that and help others with it and seeing the confidence it gave them because it gave me a lot of confidence man like it really helped me come out of my shell like funnily enough through working out and stuff like that i that made me more confident to do things like debate classes speech classes things that got forced me to get out of my shell a little bit more and um seeing me seeing that be done for others as well mm-hmm. just felt really 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 good Uh, especially like my friend uh, Ronald, he was my best man at my wedding actually. And seeing like the change it made in him, because it meant if I was naturally introverted, this dude is like hyper introverted. Like, so to see him get so confident from that to where he's like, hey man, you want to go to the mall and like, you know, like, like try to to talk to girls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it made me feel good to do that. So that's where the seats were planted. But even then, I still thought personal training and coaching was kind of a joke because I was just like, okay, so yeah, going to the gym is cool, but I'm like, yo, why would you pay anybody to help you with this? Like, because to me, I'm like, you can look everything up for yourself, right? Yeah. I also didn't realize how in depth, like, you know, you know, training could get with like powerlifting, all that kind of stuff at first. And I actually originally was introduced to powerlifting in high school, but it was a, a quick lifting. Yeah. Um, I would never feel like the football coach was also like the powerlifting coach. He just came out to me because I'd work out with a lot of football players and stuff like that. And he'd be like, hey man, you should really get a powerlifting. I'm like, oh, what's that? He's like, and the way he described it, he didn't even described it as bench squat and deadlift. He described this as just like, oh, we lift weights like in as a competition. So I was like, Oh, that sounds dope. That sounds cool. Went to the first practice. Man had me put on a bench shirt, took me like 15 minutes to get it on. And I was like, No, nah, I'm not doing this shit. There's no way. <laughs> this is like like this is this is ridiculous. I was like, why why would I do this? this is stupid. So I, I didn't want anything to do with anything related to powerlifting for the longest time. Um, but then uh fast forward to when I started college my first my first two years of college I was actually an engineer major just because I'm really good like with math science stuff like that and I didn't really know what I wanted to do I'm like well engineers make money why not uh but then still diving deeper into like you know just working out training watching hours worth of YouTube reading hours worth of stuff anything I could get my hands on I don't care if it was a book uh over anatomy physiology bowel cancer whatever I was getting really into that so it got to a point where my dad was like Yo, why don't you get into kinesiology? And I was like, Yo, what is that? And then he kind of explained it to me, and I was like, Oh, you can like be more than a PE teacher, like with fitness stuff, like that. Okay, cool. So my junior year, I uh, transferred to the University of North Texas, uh, changed my major to kinesiology, and at the same time, I started working at the uh, UNT Rec Center. I eventually got certified as a personal trainer, which that was kind of just like something to do to help make money. Like I, worked, I actually worked like four jobs in college, so I was not trying to take out student loans. Mm-hmm. So I did that purely just to, like, make money. And my original goal was, oh, I want to become, like, a certified strength conditioning specialist or maybe go work with corporate fitness, something like that. But, man, over those two years, I really fell in love with just, like, training people, period. Like, I trained with different people. Like, some some of them, you know, were athletes that were on, like, you know, different sports teams. Some of them were, like, just general people trying to get stronger, weight loss, whatever. But I just really fell in love with the process of actually helping people. And then... I actually joined the UNT powerlifting team. It um, was actually at the time, it wasn't even a team, it was more like just a small student organization because they told me about like raw powerlifting. Like, oh yeah, you bench, you squat, you deadlift. No, we don't do the equipped. stuff on this team, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much how I got introduced into powerlifting. And then through that, helping a lot of like, you know, my teammates with different things, like technique and stuff like that as well. That's when I really got kind of like more into like the idea of like, just helping people with powerlifting as well, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Until, it wasn't until I graduated, like towards the end of twenty sixteen, started the challenge like that. And I eventually transitioned more into like full on online coaching. Actually, not until twenty seventeen, and like it really didn't even start off powerlifting focused at first. It was just like you know general strength training, um, more bodybuilding related stuff, mm-hmm. uh, weight loss something like that. But as I started to dive deeper into powerlifting for myself and really get bigger into it. I had more and more people coming to me for that specifically. So it's funny because a lot of people, like they, know, like, they know before my powerlifting coaching, but that's actually the last thing that I got involved in out of kind of, like, mm-hmm. everything as far as coaching. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of, like, the long, jacked-up story short.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it usually does come from – so, like, I, when I ask this question, it always comes, like, in the same journey. And it always yeah. follows the same thing. Uh I guess for coaches it would be a little different because you really – I always say you have to have a little bit more of a passion for uh, fitness if you want to get into coaching because yeah. either you have to do extra schooling and then even if you don't do the extra schooling part, you still have to take on clients and you still have to be constantly working where I, as a competitor, lift my weights, record two white lights, and that's about all I do for the sport and you know, post shit on Instagram. Um, for – For you, it's, like, I I see very similar to a lot of, like, they started out with fitness at a young age and probably hated it. Like, just didn't like it. It was, like, a task. It felt like a punishment for me when I was 15. I hate – going into the weight room was the highest anxiety part of my day because it was during football practice when I was a freshman, and it was just frightening. You were a freshman working out with 18-year-olds, and it – it was, and you know, if you didn't do something right, they were they were not nice. It it was it was pre anti bullying when I went to yeah. high school, so we we got that yeah. last part of bullying. And you know, you you lifted a weight wrong, or if you didn't lift enough weight, like of course you should be going in there and bench pressing two twenty five, right? No, you got to fucking start somewhere. But they'll you know call you names, make you do extra conditioning. The coaches will get on your ass too, so. I definitely hated power, like just lifting weights at first, and then it yeah. became like such a normal part of my life. That yeah. towards the end of high school, I just started liking it. But and then you also brought up another good point with the confidence part. Um, I think that it happens with so many people. Just fitness in general helps with people's confidence. But absolutely, I see it with uh, the powerlifting aspect and the community of it is. It, it, it even propels a little bit further because you actually start you're you're unable to talk to people yeah you're at a competition you're able to talk with different people they're gonna ask questions you're you're gonna make some friends while you do that and that kind of makes it easier in regular society to talk to other people now you probably have to figure out other things to talk about aside from lifting, which is difficult for some people. But at powerlifting, it kind of gives you that that confidence to associate yourself with other people.
1: That's an interesting point because for me, it was almost kind of the opposite. So because I have been like working out and lifting so long before I kind of got into powerlifting, I was used to kind of being my only friend or the only person in the group who was working out stuff like that so yeah. even though he gave me a lot of confidence and stuff like that that confidence shifted into talking to them about whatever yeah it actually took me an adjustment period when i started getting powerlifting to talk to people who mostly want to just talk about lifting yeah. like it's funny that's kind of part of what kind of got me like into the training thing because before when i first started at the rec center i was just working at the weight room desk and you know i would talk about whatever man like i like to talk about politics uh, philosophy, controversial topics. I love talking about all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like these people would just be like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool, Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. But um are like so how'd you get that chest? <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like, oh you just want to talk about lifting? Alright, I bet I mean we can do that too. <laughs> but um but that community aspect is definitely something that I really learned to love about powerlifting. Because that's that's one of the things that enticed me about it the most. It wasn't just like, oh, we get to compete with Bench and Deadlift. It's like I get to work out with other people mm-hmm. like yeah. consistently. That sounds amazing. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I said on past episodes that my favorite thing to do in powerlifting, aside from competing, of course, is going to different gyms, just either in the Midwest or, you know, say if I'm traveling somewhere, which I don't often, but if I'm traveling somewhere, going into the gym and knowing some people in that gym and training with them, uh, yeah. either because they're a high-level competitor or because I just really want to train with them. So that's 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 a, a good aspect of the sport. But, again, yeah, like working into it um, – yeah, very similar to me, because when I started getting into fitness, uh, like, because I, I do, I think, you know, obvi- due to me having a podcast, I'm obviously very opinionated, just, right. I, right. if you think I have a lot of opinions on powerlifting, it doesn't stop there, like, there's right. there's other opinions I have, so that, there was a, and it was usually me debating and arguing with my family, and that always stemmed into, like, my conversations with my friends, and then even in the powerlifting, so at the gym when they see me just ranting and the, like just arguing about something, just like, uh, we really don't care as much as you do about this. So you can just chill. But, right. uh, but on the, the, the journey also usually starts off with a different form of fitness. It is a powerlifting. And right. I think most of it is bodybuilding. Most people want to look better before they want to get stronger. Uh, and sometimes you kind of have to do that, uh, in order to, you know, build a good frame. And then you, you Just maximize your strength gains. But it's usually powerlifting is the last thing on the menu, but it seems to be the most long-lasting. Right. So I ask this for a lot of coaches, uh, and I phrase it differently now, but do you have a coach-first or a competition-first mindset? Meaning, would you rather coach or compete?
1: Got you. So... Interesting question. So off the bat, I would say I'm a coach first mm-hmm. and a competitor second. Uh one, it's how I make my living. <laughs> it's like at the end of the day, I, I love powerlifting, I love lifting weights, but like me just competing in of itself, you know, I'm not my boy Russell. That's not paying the bills for me. So, <laughs> so um, you know, uh definitely a coach first from that aspect. Just, you know, gotta take care of myself, take care of my wife. But beyond that, I think it's because, like I said, me. Falling in love with powerlifting, a big part of it came from the background with like just personal training as well, mm-hmm. and like I, I just love, you no, know, when I when I see people progress, when I see people get better, and whatever it is they're doing, whatever it is I can help them with, knowing that I was just a part of that process, that brings me a certain type of joy, that 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 can't be matched by anything such as like um, winning a competition or anything like that. So I'm definitely a coach first. But with that being said, I think. The, uh, the aspect of competing yourself in powerlifting is very, very important if you're trying to be a good coach. I feel like mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of people don't understand. That's why I think you have a bunch of these kids who are like, you know, they'll do one or two meets. And then, hey, hey, I've done a couple of meets. Hey, I'm offering coaching. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. that's so stupid to me. It's yeah. like, it's just because it's not just about knowledge, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the swell fester. I'm supposed to be all about, like, you know, like knowledge and information, stuff like that. And I, and I definitely am. But powerlifting is one of those things where it's not enough to just have the head knowledge. If you haven't actually applied some of the stuff yourself, if you haven't tried certain things yourself, if you haven't competed at a certain level, and I don't even mean, like, relative as far as, like, how much you can lift. Ultimately, some people will never be able to lift as much as others. But relative to your own potential, if you haven't gotten to a certain threshold, then it becomes very, very difficult to coach lifters under you who are at that threshold. So Mm -hmm. even though I say I'm definitely a coach first – I definitely understand the importance of continuing to train myself and compete myself to maximize my results and therefore be able to help maximize my clients results as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that often gets bought up in coaching is, you know, mm-hmm. do you want, do you want your coach to be a competitor? Do you want them not to compete? And also the question stems into, should they be stronger than you or right. should they have a better total than you? And it's, I, I implore, you know, other lifters to watch different sports and see how those sports operate because I had this conversation when Joe Stanek was on the show too, but it implies in this case as well, um, if you're if you're going to be the flip side and not do any meets and not have a bigger total, obviously, if you don't do any meets, you don't have a bigger total than most of your clientele. You still need the experience of what it's like to step on the platform, just so you have a little bit more tools and a little bit more experience that you could could just push back onto your lifter. Uh, If you look at other sports, many of the coaches have played, maybe not, say, basketball, maybe not in the NBA, but maybe they played in college, and they know what it's like to play with those high-level athletes, and then if you want to go into the strength aspect of it, should they have a good total? Well, look at most of the coaches in all the sports. Many of them were decent pro athletes, decent competitors, but not the best.
1: Right.
0: And the reason why they make good coaches is because they weren't the best. They had to figure a lot of shit out for themselves in order to tell a player you know, what to do in this situation. Because same thing with you. You're not going to inherit 70 Michael C's as a coach. You're not going to get all those gifted athletes uh, who are the top top of the weight class. Same thing with Joe Stanek. He's not going to get... A bunch of pugs. He's not gonna get a bunch of those guys. Uh, sounds adorable if he got a bunch of pugs, but uh, if he got a bunch, if he got a bunch of those athletes, he's not gonna get it. But he is going to have certain lifters where he's gonna squeeze out and you're gonna squeeze out as much potential as possible, so they are effective on the platform. And exactly. that's very similar to what coaches do in other sports. Is they they don't look at the Michael Jordan. Maybe, they, like, they, they, they have to focus on Michael Jordan, but it's like, we need, you know, this guy. We need the sixth guy to perform when he needs to perform in order for us to win. So, right. like, and, and a lot of them were that athlete themselves. Like, I was the sixth guy. I know what it feels like to, you know, not score 30 points a game. But I know what it feels like to help the team win. And very similar powerlifting. I know what it feels like to go 9 for 9 and put 50 kg on my total and still have a 4-4. 40 430 wilks or get myself to a 450 wilks to a 480 wilks in just a
1: training block right right no and and that's what it comes down to i tell people all the time that the fact that i'm not and i'm by no means gonna sit here and say that oh yeah i'm at the bottom of the the totem pole genetics wise or anything like that Mm. not at all like even like before i transitioned uh to the 83s and 74s you know out of like a 1,000, say, 4kg lifters being like, you know, the top four or anything, like, I'm, I'm not at the bottom of the genetics list. Yeah. However, I'm nowhere near top 10 either. And the fact that I got where I am so much through trial and error and having to try different things, it makes the coaching so much easier, especially when you are working with somebody who maybe is, like, a little better structured for it than what you are, like, leverage-wise whatever. It's like, oh, this is what you need to do, and it works almost instantly. Bro, how did you know that? Because I've tried – 50 different things on yeah. myself and I, and I can recognize that, you know what I mean? So absolutely. I, I feel like, I feel like understanding that while yes, you know, you want them to have experience and compete. It, to me, I feel like you're definitely limiting yourself. If you feel like, Hey, my coach who, who's who I'm under has to be stronger than me. Cause a lot of the people who are stronger at the top, if we're being honest, it's not just because like, Oh, they know the game so well, they're, they're just freaks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, just you know, piggybacking off that, where you could have the the counter argument to that, you know, a competitor who has I don't know ten to twelve competitions under their belt, and yeah. they are one of the premier lifters in the world, and of course, like many do, I'm going to get into coaching, and then uh-huh. they get into coaching, and then people are like, oh, he must be a really good coach because he's strong, but you got to think he's only been coaching or she has only been coaching for a year, the experience isn't there. They don't have enough clients to say like, because what happens a lot is coaches will use their other clients as an example. Like, okay, this worked for this client. So maybe I'm going to program it for this client because they seem to be similar with how they just lift or how they program. Where that amazing competitor with, you know, 550 Wilks, might not exactly be that person because they right. don't have enough experience or clientele. They could get there one day, absolutely, but initially, right off the bat, they're not going to. Um, right. And yeah, that's that's also a signal to everyone who wants me as a coach. If I, if you're gonna be if you are going to be my first client, which you won't be because I will not coach people, you are not going to get good results because you're you're my first try. Right. So, and that's going right. to happen with a lot of lifters who assume to be good coaches. Right. So, carrying off that, what are three qualities a good coach should have in your opinion?
1: So, number one, I'm going to say um, being adaptable. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean through various aspects. I mean, like... The way you communicate, you got to be able to adapt that. The way you talk to some clients is going to be different than how you talk to some others. You need to be adaptable to people's lifestyles, especially with the powerlifting. Like, th- there's not a whole lot of full-time powerlifting, right? Um, most powerlifters have some other type of job or responsibilities, and I feel like some coaches lack the ability to work with people based upon their schedules, and I feel like you're going to limit your clientele heavily if you do that. Like, you know, I've got clients who are nurses or officers, teachers Mm -hmm. who have kind of crazy schedules. So it's like I have to be able to adapt the programming to what's going to fit best for their schedule. So being adaptable, I think, is very, very important. Um, A second one I'm going to say is going to be always seeking contentment and growth. I'm very big on that, meaning a coach should always want to get better. Uh, I feel like a lot of coaches, they get kind of lazy with it in the sense of like, and granted, you know, I, I understand with, with powerlifting anything fitness related, there's only so much you can learn at a time anyway, mm-hmm. but you should always be striving to learn as much as what you can, because if you get to a point where your client doesn't need you, especially if you have one of those clients, like like I have a lot of clients who are like this, where they're thirsty for knowledge. They're all trying to learn more on their own anyway. Like you are not just their coach, you are a resource of knowledge for them. And if they get to a point where they feel like they don't need you anymore, they're probably going to dip out. So for me, I'm always trying to make sure that I can be, uh, you know, an asset to my clients. Like, granted, you know, there needs to be some form of, like, you know, uh, independence eventually. Like, you know, I shouldn't have to tell a client I've been working with for three years, like, how to get their RPs. They should know how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But I should always be able to be an asset to them. So always trying to learn more. And then number three, I'm going to say is honesty uh, in the sense of, like, you need to be able to be honest with yourself and honest with your clients in terms of what your capabilities are and aren't. I think there's a lot of coaches who are afraid to say that they don't know. I think there's a lot of coaches who are afraid to ask other people for help with things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just being able to be honest, like with who you are and where you're at at any given point in time, is very important. And I also think that transparency between you and your clients is is very very important. Like mm-hmm. let them know kind of like you know what point you're at, not just experience wise with your coaching, but like even like you know when you're going through things. Like that makes it a lot easier. I've I've seen. Uh more times than I'd like, you know, sometimes coaches kinda like they're going through whatever emotional stuff in the background and they kind of just disappear. Mm-hmm. Clients have no clue what's going on with them. And I feel like if you you are human, like right. Like I don't know where powerlifting coaches get this weird sense of identity where it's like we're on some weird pedestal, but it's like you're human. Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself, be honest with your with your clients with what's going on. So those would probably be like three qualities that I think are very, very important. Because, and I know those aren't the typical answers, but things like, oh, good at programming and you yeah. know, very knowledgeable nice, like that. Like, honestly, almost anybody can do that if you take yeah. the time to learn it. Anybody can do that. But those things, like, okay, being adaptable um in how you communicate with people, being honest with people, and then like constantly wanting to learn more. I think those are things that kind of like have to just be in you. They can't necessarily. You can be exposed to, but it can't be taught. You have to truly just. Care about those things and be passionate about what you're doing and the people you're working with. Because um, the other stuff you can learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And people do neglect that client coach relationship when yes. you start looking at coaching or start receiving coaching. Is there's a through those check ins and through those, uh, depending on how you do things, how you program, of course, they're going to have those answers for you. But what uh-huh. you said, those three qualities, I look at as like almost like the foundation of a house. Yes, like you need that in order to build a house. And those three things, if you have those, you can then you know do the programming and do the technique work. And because you are approachable, because you are depth, because you are honest with yourself, you're going to be able to help them more efficiently because that foundation is so strong. Um, and yeah, like the the. The points, those qualities were excellent, but then I looked at the, uh, of course, the adaptable thing. I think is the big one for most clients. Like they want to reach their mm-hmm. coaches, and there are coaches in powerlifting who are hard to reach. Which right. we we see a lot of, you know, Instagram stories about uh, why coaches are not as reliable as they should, uh, right. or as they should be. But the second one was big, was how you're gotta continuously grow with the sport. You gotta have to be able to look at things. And I do see that a lot with coaches where not necessarily they fall off, but the programming of lifters and the coaching of lifters is turning into a hobby for them as opposed to right. their job. And exactly. I see and I and I see, you know, the I and call like powerlifting first coaches. Like they put powerlifting yeah. first And they put their other hobbies to the side, much similarly to, as far as me, I put powerlifting as my main concern and then all my other hobbies aside. So I want a coach to match that same energy, and I see a trend where powerlifting is kind of like the thing that they do on the side of another thing that they do. And I don't even talk about their job. Of course, if you have a job and you want to pay the bills, that's fine. I'm saying... That other hobby that's similar to powerlifting, you know, right. like you know, video games or some shit. I don't know. Uh, right. Just a different right. maybe. sport. Like maybe maybe mixed martial arts. Like it's, it when you, and then then they that neglects them from growing as a coach and kind of expanding their knowledge. Um, and three, the honesty part is huge. Um, I think coaches occasionally get arrogant. Oh,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: I think yep. they are if they have a arsenal of really, really good lifters, they turn into the you know a really really good lifter themselves as in their egos get blown up, which I'm not I never had a problem with a big ego. Uh, I think people with high competitiveness do have big egos you know anyway. but if the ego gets so big that you can't face criticism, if you can't admit that you're wrong, Right. Then that's where the issue comes in. Like, you have to be right. able to be honest with yourself, and therefore, you're going to be honest with your client. And if the client is paying you, you got to be honest with them.
1: And, and that's my big thing, too, man. Like, when I have clients who come to me and they tell me, like, you know, oh, yeah, communication, with my coach was very good. I wouldn't hear back them for a week. Or, you know, they would talk to me like this. Or, yeah, my coach was kind of like emotionally abusive how they spoke to me. Yeah. That blows my mind. Like, it really truly does. Like, no matter how many times I hear, I'm like, I work for you. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like I'm, I'm trying to imagine like you're working for somebody like in a company, and you would talk to them that way, you would be fired immediately. Yeah. So for, for me, it's like that's how I look at it. It's like I am working for you, and even though yes, there's that personal issue that develops, it can be a friendship. Like some of my clients are some of my closest friends. Others is more just like you know professional relationship. Try to make sure I handle all of them accordingly. But that level of professionalism, no matter how close you get as friends or whatever it may be, it needs to always be there. That that level of just respect needs to be there. Like for me like whenever I'm doing an initial consultation call with someone new, like the the very moment that, hey, this person took the time to look me up, to email me, schedule this call with me, and they want to see like what I offer. I already have respect for you from that standpoint. And it's like that needs to only grow as we continue on. And I feel like a lot of coaches, I don't know know if it's because some coaches just they blow up quicker or like they just get that one special athlete early on, they blow up quicker. I feel like they get very caught up in almost riding the success of their clients. And I'm not knocking that in the sense of, you should take pride in your yeah. clients. You should like, and and the reality is, we we are a big part of the client's success, absolutely. But to me, it's understanding that it's like, like for example, I'm like my client Michael, right? One of the reasons that Michael like came to me was because he's seen how I am with all of my other clients, mm-hmm. like a, that that aren't necessarily at his level and stuff like that. He sees like you know the attention that I give him, the, the attention to detail that I pay, and it's kind of like okay, well if he's doing this with these guys who he knows is probably never going to be top 10 anything, then it's like, well, then I'm probably in good hands. You know what I mean? So I'm actually, I always tell people, I'm actually very grateful for one my years of just in-person training and stuff like that. And then I'm grateful for the time that I had just coaching people in general who maybe weren't big names before I started getting people like uh, Michael Shea, Brandon Petrie, things like that, because I feel like the mindset that I have with them has carried over very well. Whereas even though I love to sit here and be like, hey, I am a guy of morals and ethics, I would never do A, B, or C. I feel like we don't know what we would do until we're in the situation. So who's to say how I would have ended up I would have ended up having someone like Michael as a client as one of my first five clients ever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm very grateful for kind of the order in which things happen. That's something else I try to remind myself of too, that like as much as I may see different things in coaching or the industry that I am disgusted by, I don't ever act like it's impossible for me to somehow end up that way. So I try to keep myself in check even more so. It's not, oh, hey, I'm a great guy, so I would never do that. It's, hey, because I consider myself a good guy, I have to make sure that I don't ever you know, follow some of these trends and end up that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. And occasionally, I don't know if they grow to that point. I think it was just their personalities initially. Yeah. And then that's just what their personality is. And with a high-pressure situation like coaching, which mm. uh, I brought up on a past episode of The appreciation I gained for coaching when I received coaching at the Arnold, that was the first time I received coaching from, um, and and handling, and game day coaching too, Uh, the first time I received any of it, was me looking at what Joe was doing, and then how he's interacting with the other coaches. Uh, Sean was in there, a lot of other guys from TSA was in there, while the Arnold was going on in the warm-up room, and it, it... I'm like, well, this is hectic. This is and uh, occasionally can be pretty high pressure. So if you get a person who's kind of a dickhead, you're going to get their personality, right? Ex- because the they're, they they they're like they they get anxious and then you know you get the blow ups and then maybe you can start getting the 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 panic and the yelling and all that stuff. And I have I've heard I've heard of that before and I have seen it myself like when i see one on one training where it's you know they they think a coach they have an image in their mind that a coach is that 1975 football coach right you know with this the visor good. and the short shorts and the high socks and he's always yelling and he's his chewing tobacco and it's like oh that's how coaches should act where right. you don't just because you are loud does not make you a good coach just because no. you are verbally abusive like probably they were bought up in because that's that's what my coaching experience was like as an athlete was you know a lot of uh, I wouldn't say insults but it was pretty intense it was right. very it was a lot of yelling it was a lot of shouting um, they think that's what coaching is and it's really it's not that it's it does or it doesn't need to be that maybe you know it works for some people but I I. Don't find it as effective as the alternative, like you mentioned. So if we're talking about coaches, I always like asking what the athletes can do on their end. Because I feel like sometimes athletes don't get enough blame as they should uh, for either subpar coaching. So what are three qualities a good athlete, in your opinion, should have?
1: No, 100% agree. It's, it's a, coaching is a collaboration, so you definitely can't put everything on the coach or everything on just the athlete. For the athlete, I would have to say number one, patience. I think that's that's very, very important. Um, just because, you know, of course, you know, hey, we want to add, you know, 50, 100, however many pounds to our total, like, you know, as quickly as possible. But I think having the patience to understand that, hey, this is a process, it takes mm-hmm. time. No matter, no matter what level you're at, it's it's going to take time. Like, yeah some people seem like they progress faster than others, but it's all relative. If someone's progressing at a certain rate, then what may seem fast to you on the outside looking in might still kind of be slow to them because they're kind of used to that rate of progression, right? So patience is huge. Discipline, just the discipline to actually like, hey, if I give you this program and and I take the time to explain the why behind why we're doing this, because I'm big on that. Like I tell my clients all the time, if you ask me, hey, why am I doing this? And I can't explain why, you don't have to do it. But if I take the time to explain the why, I need you to have the discipline to stick with it And to trust it, despite whatever outside pressures there might be, like, oh, I saw so and so max out on Instagram or, oh, my friends are telling me to do whatever. Discipline. Uh, And then the third one is actually going to be one of the same ones for coaching is that honesty. That's very, very important. Like, you you have to be honest with me as your coach. You have to communicate with me. Let me know what your goals are. Let me know how you feel about things. Even if it's something that, in my mind, I may think, like, oh, I think you're kind of tripping on that. I still want you to be honest in expressing your concerns. Because if I don't know something's wrong, I can't do my job to help you fix it. So that, that that honesty is huge, and and being honest with like what you want, I think I think especially with with Instagram and social media, there's so many people who feel like they have to powerlift or even have to work out for specific types of reasons, like or oh well, if I'm working out for this reason, I'm going to be judged. Like, dude, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you mm-hmm. with whatever your goals are. If you if you're like, yo, man, I want to become, like, a better powerlifter because I enjoy getting likes whenever I, like, post videos on Instagram, I'm not judging you for that. Like, mm-hmm. of course you do. You have an Instagram. <laughs> so, yeah. so, of course you enjoy that, right? Or someone comes to me like, hey, man, I just like working out. I don't care about being the strongest. I just want to, like, look, look better. Okay, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not here to judge you for your reasons for it. I'm here to help you with whatever your goals are. But it's like if you come to me and tell me, oh, yeah, man, I'm just – I'm about A, B, and C. And you're really not, but, I'm, but that's what you tell me, so I'm going to help you with A, B, and C. And then you end up being really unhappy. It's like, yo, dude, what's going on? We're helping you reach your goals. Well, to be honest, man, I'm not really into that. I prefer X, Y, and Z. Well, okay, well, be honest with me on that. Yeah. You know, So I feel like that's very important. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think with, again, those qualities sometimes are really self-explanatory, but they're they're not at the same time, okay? Right. Because the the big thing with, you know, just – Discipline. It will surprise you to know how many like really good lifters have had those multiple coaches because they couldn't stay on their program that they're paying the coach to give them. Right. It's like this. It's fine, but you're not going to be the easiest athlete to work with if you're not disciplined. And then right. you see, you know, because we all we all got our phones, we all got our you know Instagram where we, our opinions are spewed out there. You know, then they make a story post about how their coach didn't do this for them and didn't do that for them where they were lacking the discipline. And the very first thing that you said, you know, we see how many how many people just not be patient with their coaching. Absolutely. So many, again, I, I feel like I'm still pretty green to the sports. Uh, USAPL has a lot more coaches. i am only been in USAPL for one year now. A lot more coaches, a lot more athletes to get coaches from certain people. I've seen so many examples of people just going through coaches like they go through their socks. Just – it's like I had a bad meet, boom, removed, getting another coach. And it's like – right, well, did is there any other – and I don't know the stories behind this. Like, can, did you guys look at things as a whole? Did you look at what went right during prep, what went wrong during a prep? Because I don't know if you guys look at powerlifting – just as the top-level competitors, they're not always on. They're right. not always making the progress that they want. And there's always reasons for it. And a lot of them are good at explaining those reasons. Just had Ashton Rouska on the show. You know, he has high goals, but he feels like he hasn't accomplished them yet. And right. that's 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 a one person. Um, I know, because uh, Michael say, we have, you know, I have great admiration for him. Obviously, the past two meets... Didn't go the way he wanted it to. But he sticks with it. Like, he continues to go with it. And he has reasons why. It's like, it wasn't like, oh, it was because of this reason I'm going to get another coach. It was, he finds a reason for it. Russ, Russ is another guy. Nationals didn't go well for him. He is the best 83 kg lifter in the world, top five in the world. Didn't go as planned. Taylor Atwood had a hard time during his last prep up to Sheffield. Right. Like, these are all the best in the world. It's going to happen. Ray Williams has had so many roadblocks. The list has gone on and on. The point I'm trying to make is it's okay if you have a bad meet.
1: Yeah. The
0: the coach will actually probably have a better understanding why you had a bad meet as opposed to the next coach you're going to have.
1: Going to someone new. Exactly. It's a part of the game, man. People don't understand that. Like, we we have all had bad meets. You yeah. Are, you are I, unless you just do one meet, and it's your first meet, you still have to go nine for nine, and you quit after that, you are eventually going to have a bad meet if you stay yeah. And I, I do, And I will say part of that, like I said, is like, you know, just athletes have to be patient. Like They have to understand that, hey, you might go through a period of time where, yo, I only put, I don't know, 10, 15 pounds on my total after six months of training or a year of training, whatever it may be. Sometimes that can happen. But like you said, if you stick with the same person and that person you know is capable, they're going to help you figure out, okay, what went wrong. How can we make it better? But I do think part of that, once again, like I said, coaches and collaboration, right, is on the parts of the coaches. I believe that sometimes coaches, once again, we may think too highly of ourselves and we will make promises that we can't always keep. Yeah. I always try to make sure that my clients know, like, like that's where that communication comes in. What are your goals? Realistically, what do you think you're going to hit at this meet? And then I will be honest with them with what I think is realistic for the meet. And then, you know, we kind of do things on a range and we shoot for somewhere within that range, right? If we're feeling really great and we hit the top end of that range, awesome. If now we hit the bottom of that range, cool. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's this thing where it's like, you know, and, and and given that there's not crazy setbacks, injuries, whatever, right? But, like, we've we've been, like, training together for six months a year or whatever. And you just make no progress, right? You're on, top of the, you're on top of everything you need to be as an athlete and you can be honest with that. Then, yeah, maybe you need to take a look at, like, okay, well, what's going on with my coach, right? And yeah. that's a conversation you all need to have. But... Either way, even if you're doing everything right, like nine times out of ten doing everything right, you still have to be patient. That's just part of the
0: game. Oh yeah, absolutely, and especially with this sport because there's so many. It's not really skill based. It's exactly. It's it's based on how many how consistent you are in the gym, and something can hold be holding you back for being consistent, Um, and it happens. And the stronger you get, the the harder it's going to be to, you know, sometimes your hip can't take it. Sometimes, you know, you're gonna have a strain. Sometimes right. your knees can't take it. It's like you need like this is not a time to put twenty five keys on your total. Like this this right. this block is not that time. And yeah, I I agree with that uh very very strongly. I, I like those three qualities as well. But let me ask you this, because I often big sports fan myself, so I often try to make as much comparisons I can to powerlifting other sports have you ever received criticism for your coaching in powerlifting from the outside community, or not from the outside community, within the community, uh, like from fans or spectators? Because other sports, it happens so often where it's like they're almost – like if it's football, them and the quarterback. The head coach and the quarterback are the lightning rods of the most criticism. And then other sports too. Like in baseball, it's usually the manager. So – uh how, how about in powerlifting have you ever received any sort of like criticisms
1: i can honestly say to to my knowledge only once ever and that was of course like with this past arnold um with what happened with michael on a uh, on bench press and like that and the, and it wasn't even anything hyper negative it was purely the criticism of like oh he he opened too heavy on bench like we're mm-hmm. so have had him like you know scale back you know the bench Warrants were probably moving sluggish and like but you know they were pushing for that 800 kg total so he didn't scale things back that's probably the only as far as i know criticism i've ever gotten Mm -hmm. and you know i i I wasn't offended by it i simply like you know i one i try not to address negativity unnecessarily and my thing is this is how i look at things as far as criticism And, and mind you those are two separate things to me criticism and negativity yeah um Because I look at it from the standpoint of even if someone's intention is to be negative towards me, if their criticism is valid, I'm going to look at it and be like, okay, yeah, I can do better on that. Um, Whereas if the criticism is not valid, then it's just kind of like, it is what it is. Um, The reality is, though, for me, the reason why I didn't really take that to heart and why Michael didn't take that to heart is because we were back in the war room. Anyone who was back in the war room with us saw Michael's warm was flying, absolutely we know what will happen on bench. We know what went wrong with that as far as like, you know, the, the slippery carpet stuff like that. And that's something that I will own. It's like, you know what, even though from the morning session, I knew the carpets were a little bit slippery. I underestimated to what degree that was going to affect, you know, Michael's bench. And instead of just being like, Oh, well no, that's stupid. they just change the rule and, you know, like not use carpet anymore, which, you know, I can still feel strongly about that. Instead. It's like, since then we have been doing things, work on Michael's technique and form to where this will no longer be an issue. But that's, that probably was the only time I've ever received like a criticism as a coach. And because I knew it wasn't necessarily valid because that, that criticism can only be valid because warrants were moving horribly and they were fine. So I, I I don't have, to this day, I'll still say, no, I don't regret the attempt selection that we went with. It's just, you know, there are variables the day of that, you know, we didn't account for as much as we needed to that played a role in it. So other than that, I can honestly say, not to my knowledge, like there might be people in the background saying whatever about me as a coach, uh, whether it's related to Michael or any of my other clients, but I've never seen or heard of it. So,
0: yeah, yeah, it's interesting you brought up the Michael uh, performance at the Arnold because I think people when I when they ask me for my opinion of what happened, um, they think that I was directing my criticism towards you of opening too high, and I wasn't mm-hmm. because I was like, I think. If you're, if you're casing an 800 kg total, right. your chances of bombing out are very high or yeah, higher absolutely. than most because you're casing a ridiculous total that mm-hmm. is, I mean, Taylor Atwood's 7, 790 is the closest, right? In the US APL and IPF?
1: I believe so, yes.
0: And he's yes. still, and, he, and with that very, very good performance, still 10 keys off. So you mm-hmm. have to be, you have to be perfect and maybe a little bit better than perfect in order to get that. So I'm like, I'm like, I wasn't saying anything about the attempt selection like the opener makes sense for what he's gonna do i just from what it looked like it's like he didn't get it because he has to be perfect that day because you know if he if he hits it and goes one for three on bench then it's all and then you already know it's like well 800 keys off the table so it's i yeah i've heard some criticisms based to you for that as well but i just because it happens so frequently in other sports, I just want to know if like a coach ever receives that feedback. Uh 'cause because again, with the coach that I work with, uh, you know Joe Stanek, he tells he tells me, and it's not necessarily criticism. Well, it kind of is criticism. Of I, so I had Pug on the show, and he receives DMs, you know, of how what Pug said. It's like, well, you know, I'm his coach. I'm not. His, I'm not him. <laughs> Right, i'm not, a, I'm, right, not per- right. I'm not his i'm not i'm not the person dealing with him. so if he's receiving that i can imagine you know if you're on instagram or facebook one day and someone goes three for nine at a meet a high level competitor goes three for nine at a meet like right do you get the same horrible dms that coaches in the nfl get like you should get fired right. you're a terrible coach you ruined this lifter or you ruin this <laughs> team or whatever like i was and i mean yeah. i'm I'm obviously not going to get any of that because I'm not a coach, but I was just always curious if other coaches do.
1: No, it really wasn't. And I'm the type of person where, like, just because of the nature, kind of more like my YouTube and my content, where it's informative, I try to engage with people as much as I can. So I'll take the time to go through, like, my DMs and try to respond to those questions. And even, like, the day that happened, it was mostly all positive. It was mostly all, like, hey, man, y'all going to bounce back, like, wish y'all the best. Um, And I think part of it is because, like, I when it happened, I got on my story media. I'm like, "Hey, we did not do. What we came here to do. Like, yeah. regardless of the why, excuses like that's that's on us. You know what I mean? So I think owning it probably helped with that a little bit. I also feel like even the people who did bring up like, "Oh, did you open too heavy?" When I talked to them and discussed it to them, or if they you know if they really want to see if I when I showed them the last warm-up, they're like, "Oh, okay, got it. That yeah. makes sense." But it wasn't anything crazy like, "Bro, you ruined my favorite lifter." Yeah. Like, like you're you're buying. I feel like, or I would like to think part of that is just because I'm. I'm a pretty nice guy in general. Like, I don't – I try – I don't really – it's not that I try. I just – I don't feel like I come across as, like, overly arrogant or cocky. I feel like when you do that, people are almost waiting to see you fall. But it's just like, look, man, I'm I'm a simple dude. I love powerlifting. I love coaching. I want some athletes to do well. That's it. I'm not – I can honestly say that I'm not overly caught up on, like, I guess, like, what people are thinking or viewing me or whatever. And I might get to that point eventually. I feel like, you know, maybe, like, certain coaches – um like you know like like joey flex or whatever when you're at like a certain prestige of coaching or whatever however you want to put it maybe they feel like sometimes like this pressure like all eyes are on them but it wasn't until recently that i kind of even realized like, oh yeah there's probably a lot more people paying attention to like what i do as a coach now but i'm just kind of like i mean what i'm doing and how i've done it thus far and, and not in the sense like that you don't grow and adapt like that but i'm like my general way of going about things has got me where I'm at now, so I'm not going to suddenly change that or be concerned about it just because oh, there's more eyes on you now. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, because when I was I, I when I was asked about it, and I do receive it's funny when you do the you know a podcast, you do receive right. a lot of questions about other lifters, right. and it's like now I have to now I put myself in a corner where I have to talk about other lifters. Um, right. and I think the thing I said, I'm like, I think the opener was too high, but I would, but the funny thing is I wouldn't put it lower. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even if I saw a yeah. up, I mean like as a coach, I'm like, I knew exactly what the goal is for the right. arm. I knew what it was going in. I'm, right. I say the opener is too high, but I'm also not saying to open lower than that.
1: Right. Right. Because and, and that's, it's something it's you just like, got to execute. Yeah, like, if somebody's saying, like, if somebody's saying, like, hey, on the day of, based upon, like, what happened then and there, the opener's too high, I can't really objectively argue against that, because, I mean, he didn't get it, right? Yeah. Whether it's because, oh, the strength wasn't there, the was whatever, like, he didn't get it. But it's just more so from the standpoint of, like, like, and Michael and I laugh about it all the time, like, we'll be, we'll be, like, you know, if we're working out together, it'll be, like, his last one for a top set, and it flies, and I'm like, nah, bro. We gotta that's it. You're done, you gotta drop it. Can't can't go up any higher than that. Even though that just flew and that was nowhere near your RPA, we gotta we gotta call it or whatever, right? But it's this thing where it's like exactly we had a goal for that day. And it's like in order to hit that goal, we needed to open up with at least that. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, like I said, if his last warm-up cause that's the thing, even though yeah, we had that goal, we're like, hey, we're also just trying to have a good meet. And if it's not there that day, because like, hey, your last warm up did not move, and we had we would be stupid. If we didn't adjust it. We would have, but it did, so we did
0: Yeah, I, I, I could respect and agree with that a hundred percent. Just and then also just taking that and using it in your repertoire and arsenal right. and using it for future meets. Like, okay, this is what we got to do if the you know game day conditions aren't as good as we want it to be. But exactly, yeah, that's uh, like that was. Explaining that to people was, because it's hard, it's like, you're almost, you're, especially for, you know, someone like me, who, I can only lose relationships and good graces with other people based on what I say, and, right. and the funny thing is, when people ask, I, one, you're going to definitely misquote me. Um, right. Case sure. in point, I mean, I don't want to get political, and I'll probably leave it at this, the status I posted yesterday of uh, the what's going on <laughs> in Minneapolis with the the you know the looting and all that stuff that got misconstrued completely. Like people are messaging me and like wait wait they drew so many conclusions of what I said out of like a one sentence thing. Like no, you guys are assuming what I said. You guys are assuming right. that I mean a bunch of these things. Just got accused of the thinking that I was racist. I'm like, I don't know why you thought I was racist for this entire time, but that's cool. I will show you my girlfriend uh, soon, and then maybe we can have a debate on if I'm racist or not. But that's what happens on social media. So whatever I say about a coach, it's going to get telephoned to someone else and be like, yo, Fortino power thinks that you open too high. He doesn't think you're a good coach. like, nope, not what I said. It's, it's, I wouldn't have changed the attempt selection because I knew what you're trying to do. I mean, it was Grand Prix that day too. Ashton Roscoe's competing. You got to put in a pretty damn good meat also. If you're not even thinking about the eighty, the 800 kg total, you got to beat right. that dude, and he's right. essentially a transformer. He's like the Optimus Prime yeah. for God's sake. So, <laughs> Optimus
1: Prime. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. like he's
0: like Optimus Prime of the USAPL. So it's like, yeah. Um, I, and I, again, just curious about the criticism you, you may face, but speaking on like the more positive side, what's the most proudest moment you have had as a Competitor or as a coach, you can give me, you know, either or, or just one, you know, moment that you were extremely proud of.
1: I would have to say, as as a competitor, I don't know if I've even really experienced a moment that I would call like my proudest moment as a competitor. But I will say my last meet in February, like that was like my last meet in 4 KG. I was very, very proud of that meet just because. The The Nationals before, I didn't really feel like I had the meet that I, like, I feel like prep went really, really well. Um, but due to some personal things going on in the background, kind of, like, things got kind of weird for me, like, the last few weeks going into the meet. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't have the meet that I wanted to at Nationals. as Because my actual plan was after that, after Nationals before, was probably just to move up after that. But mm-hmm. I didn't have the meet that I wanted. So then I started under my current coach, Brad Coolyard, right after Nationals, and just... The, the time, the effort and the work we put in going into that meet in February, even though, like, my recomp went horribly, like, it was like, when I tried to recomp, I was throwing everything up, and I pretty much stayed, I stayed, like, like you know, around, like, 163 the whole time, the fact that I was able to go in and just hit the numbers that I did, because uh, I scored, like, 496, which, like, to me was just huge, I've been chasing, like, you know, like, that for a while, um, bench went well and then deadlift went two for three didn't quite pull 600 but the fact that i felt confident enough to load on the bar like it was it was just a it was just a weird feeling for me it's like it it was a feeling that reminded me that, like hey man i i can still do this you know what i mean because okay. as a coach it's like i get i i'm very confident in my abilities to like help others and stuff like that but it's weird how sometimes your mentality towards yourself as a lifter can be very different it's like Man, I'm so good at helping other people get better. I should be able to get better myself. Um, and despite understanding, like, you know, the differences in, you know, genetics, how the embark and like that, it was, I was like, I was at a weird frustrating point kind of at that point. So that me really kind of helped me, like, just gain more confidence in myself again as a lifter and stuff like that. As a coach, as a coach, I'd have, even though it didn't end the way we want, but I had to say this past nationals. um, Co- coaching michael like in, um, during prime time that was one that was my first time coaching like at prime time at nationals which is just a very cool bizarre feeling but it was also the fact that going into that meet right it was pretty much this thing where people people pretty much thought they're like you know yeah if michael michael were to win this taylor would just have to have like a really really bad meet right he had to severely screw up mess up and by the time we got through bench just the way like Like um, the phones were getting blown up, hearing people talk and stuff like that. The fact that, like, they are really pushing this. It was just a very, very cool feeling. Because I knew going into it, um, one, a lot of people didn't necessarily know who I was as a coach, but a lot of people who did, there was a lot of kind of, uh, not, not negative, but more so like, oh, who is this guy? Like, like you know, like, why, why isn't Michael with his old coach? Why is he with this dude? Oh, I didn't even know they were together, even though we kind of started working together, going into that past world and then on afterwards. So I guess the, the feeling of, like, just, you know, seeing, because aside from being my client, Michael was also one of my closest friends. So seeing him, like, be in that position. And, and seeing like just the excitement and how happy he is, Cause, you know, Michael's a very chilled stoic, deep voice, Hey, what's up on Michael C? <laughs> type of dude. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like to see like just that excitement, that energy, um, and the fact that he trusted me, like to help him get to that point, that was probably one of my like, proudest moments as a coach thus far, just because it, it was beyond just helping a high level client get to a point. It's like, yo, know, I'm helping. Yeah. High level client get to an even higher level, but it's like, I'm helping my friend fulfill like what, you know, one of his dreams. up until the point of deadlifts obviously so but even despite how it ended that was still probably one of my uh proudest moments i'd say
0: yeah i for for that performance at nationals i would i would have to agree like that was such a great moment where it was the hype was building and the hype was going into the meet of course um right the the there was hype there but people are like i this he's making progress and when he hit that second bench I remember I was with my friend. I was like, "Holy shit, that moved!" And I was, I was stunned by that. I'm like, "I think he might actually have a have a chance here." I know it, it, uh, it was unfortunate what happened, but that whole, that whole uh, buildup was as a, as a spectator as a fan was pretty great. So I can understand why that would be um, high up on your list. Uh, so very broad question coming up. The broadest question we have, but it usually is to the most rantable uh discourse Mm -hmm. what is one thing you would change about powerlifting and when i say that that could be rule environment the
1: culture you could pick
0: this and go anywhere you want on it
1: if there was one thing i could change about powerlifting it would probably be uh uh, the layout of like the meets like what meets someone can go to and, Mm -hmm. and and like and like it would be more strange. instead of just being like, okay, you go to a qualified you go to a meet, you get a qualifying total, then you go to nationals, there would be like different levels to it. Like, okay, you have to, you know, you got local meets, you got regional meets, mm-hmm. and you've got whatever after that, nationals, and you have to do this many local meets first, or do, you know, this much first, whatever it may be, before you can yeah go to like these other level meets. And the the, the reason why I would do that is because I really feel like something like that. Would help powerlifting grow as a sport. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and that's my thing. I I really want to see powerlifting grow more. And I feel like in order for it to grow more, I, I feel like there's two things have to happen. One, you need more people uh, like Russell. And when I say that, I don't just mean I don't necessarily mean like just his level of strength. There's lots of strong people in powerlifting, but I'm talking about personality. Yeah. Like people are drawn to personality, people are drawn to like like, characters in a story, basically, right? Like, that's even with the whole, like, you know, the Battle 74s or whatever, that's a big thing that drew people in and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, but I also feel like if people wanted to be, wanted to grow more as a sport, you have to give it more of that kind of sport structure. Yeah. And I feel like if you start to do things that way and start to, like, invest more things, like, like money into it, cash prizes, things like that, I feel like that's just going to help it grow more. So I feel like kind of securing things off that way works better. Because it's like, you know, yeah, people just want to power to pile if they still have their local meets and stuff like that. But I think if you make these higher level meets truly higher level and you can invest more money into it and give more people the incentive to do it, aside from just like, oh, titles and rankings, but like actually put more money into it and what they can win. I feel like that's really going to help it grow more, if that makes sense. Oh. So it's kind of like if you want to be more like a sport, then or you want to be seen as a sport, you have to structure it more like other sports. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. And very – this was talked about often on the show was the uh, raising the qualifying totals for nationals. Right. And where, you know, I, I still think most people thought that was a good idea mm-hmm. where I think people the, – the criticisms came in was a very small percentage. Like they saw like okay. one person complain that the qualifying totals are too high and then they used that person and made it like, oh, all these people are so like, no, it was probably just one dude. but. Mm-hmm. When you do that, yeah, you legitimize things a little bit more. Exactly. You, you. But I, th- but then I'm like, I think you could do it more. I think you could extend upon that. I think That's you could be uh, the the only thing because people have said to me like this regional thing, like okay, you have a regional meet, but like, well then I think Texas is just gonna have the top twenty five lifters, <laughs> like yeah. and, like you're gonna have a guy with like a five fifty Wilks, like maybe not or like a 520 Wilkes not get into texas because texas is one bigger population than other places but two they just have so many good lifters there is this right. so the regional thing to me is 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 tricky um i mm. think there's use for it i would like those regional meets to be more important because right now they're not important right. because right. i could go to a meet in chicago and you know put in a great total there but i'm not going to go to the meet in st louis because right. I'm closer to Chicago. I know the people at that meet. Why would I go to the regional meet? That's all the way, you know, two, two and a half, three hour drive for me. That's not going to do right. it. Um, but if you have it mean something, if you have that regional meet mean something, it's like, okay, we're inviting this lifter. Or, like, or just like you have to qualify for the regional meet in order to get there. It's like, okay. And then this is the prize we're giving out afterwards. Like, okay, now I'm inclined to go to that meet. Now that yeah. regional meet is going to pull in people from the Midwest, and now we're going to have a really good competition there. And that, right. because well, we, as far as powerlifting goes in the USAPL, uh, Nationals and the Arnolds, pretty much, yeah. Th- those yeah. are where the phones are out. That's when the video cameras are out. Those are where the live streams are happening. But if you have regional meets that are big, because I know, I, I know there's plenty of damn good lifters in the Midwest yeah. where you could have a regional meet, Have your media outlets there, have some vendors there, have really good competition there, maybe throw in a prize at the end of it. You're looking at a much better competition that more eyes are going to be on, as opposed to a local meet where you have to, unless someone's recording on their phone, you're not really going to get a whole lot of footage. But if you have, you know, the Three White Lights, whatever it's called, uh, UK, I think it's Three White Lights, UK, I could be wrong, uh, Platinum Nines, um, over at those meets, then you know, you get some more publicity. But right, right. for for what I say with like with nationals, making it more of a sports thing is why not just you have prime time based on rankings, why not have qualifying totals based on rankings? Right.
1: right. You, you no, play, I I think that would be
0: great. That's like yeah. that was my big thing with nationals was like, okay, you raise the qualifying total and I understand why you did it. If you have twenty five lifters in each weight class, you're not gonna make as much money as, as what nationals should be making and right. people could say what they want about the usapl being a money grab but i would rather have my business a business try to grab money as opposed to the alternative i don't know if you're quite a business and organization if you're not trying to grab money um i think it's a right. lazy term like oh it's just a money grab but yeah they're an organization
1: right.
0: ever guys ever hear of professional or major league baseball they're, they try to money grab from you that's like you know how they right, right. I'm looking right now at a Kyle Hendricks jersey from the Chicago Cubs that is a purchase that I made that goes to the Chicago Cubs organization and that's why major league baseball makes money that's right. how it works so right. i think with if you do like top 25 in each way class you're not going to have the big screen you're not going to have the 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 great warm up room that we get at nationals Sure, it's going to be a high level competition. Um, it's going to be more intimate. It's going to be all that stuff and more. But they won't make as much money.
1: Right. Which a lot of people said, start with something like the top fifty, something yeah. like that. Because yeah. like, because, 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 really, that's about. I think that was close to about what some weight classes were having this past yeah. nationals anyway. So I'm like, okay, well, instead of just being whatever random person signed up for the qualifying total, just make it be the top 50 so that way there's a little bit more involved in it. And whenever I've talked about this with people, and, and as far as, like, you know, the whole money grab thing with yours, if you're like, are, are there certain things where I'm definitely like, okay, they need to do better with this or, like, do better for, like, you know, the members of this? Absolutely. But at the same time, I understand, like you said, it's a business. Yeah. They're trying to make money. It is what it is. But my thing is, it's more so, like, I've heard people make the argument like, oh, but if you start structuring it that way, then only, like, only, like, the best of the best of the high-level lifters are going to get the most attention. One, that's happening anyway, yeah. and that's the nature of any sport. The better you are, the more attention you're going to get. But two, I actually disagree. I actually think if you put more of a bigger emphasis on regional meets or the structure of these meets, you're going to you're gonna have more reason to pay attention to different things at different levels. Yeah. And then even though you might have some people that maybe aren't at like the top 10 national level, you might find some other lifters that are somewhere below that that you yeah. that you take interest in, because like, well, you know, I'm probably never going to get to that level, but I can probably get to this level. Who's who's all at this level? Like, who's competing here? And then you find more literature that you like that you're interested in. And then if they're, you know, like I said, kind of doing the thing that I said, I think will also help it grow with this showing more of their personality and stuff like that. That's that's gonna help a lot. And that's another thing too that even like with me that I feel has helped me just kind of grow uh, as far as like being a content creator, like with YouTube and stuff like that. Is the fact that, like I actually like talk, I engage, I'm on my story. Like people, you know. They have a beat on what my personality is like, and I feel like that's that's something that's important as well.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, it's it's an interesting. I because I, I do agree. I just think more coverage on powerlifting meets needs to be done. I mean, it's just imagine other sports where you know two. That's well, that's why, I, I, and I've said this ad nauseum at this point. It's most of the sport is done in the gym, so ninety nine percent of it is done in the gym. And that's what we see. We see pretty much people lifting in the gym, and it's mostly they're recording and then they're putting on Instagram or YouTube and that stuff, and that's how they get coverage. But right. if you just add a few in extra really good meets in there, that's not just the Arnold or Nationals, because that's really, and that is what, that's all USAPL has as far as seeing those high-level competitors at a big stage. If you right. have more of that, you have more coverage, and you just get to see good lifters. Because... Yes. Here's the, the the funny thing with, you know, getting uh, more coverage and spotlight on sport is some of those lifters just simply don't have that personality that they want to put there on social media. Right. They're all cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, but sure. someone was like, I don't fucking feel like doing the social media thing. I don't feel like doing the story thing. I don't feel like talking into my phone. Um, like me, I like, I. Some some guy actually believed. He actually believed this that uh, primetime was based off of Instagram followers, and he said the popular. He, he, like he said, I I because I, I looked at him, and this is my first nationals meet. I looked at him. I'm like, are you you seriously believe? that if you have a high following on YouTube or Instagram, you will get into the t- primetime. Like
1: prime huh?
0: And then he's like, well, that's what I heard. I'm like whoever told you that's a dumbass. Cause that makes no sense. I'm like, it's based off the top 10 rankings. So like it wouldn't right. make, cause he's thought, cause at that time, um, I had a pretty good following on Instagram. He's like, Oh, you should get primetime based on your Instagram following. I'm like, no, I shouldn't because I, I'm ranked 12th so right it now. It doesn't. It doesn't work like I'm not. I should like I shouldn't get it in every sense of the word. But I was the person who had that, and there was people in prime time that I yeah obviously had a better following then. But right. they didn't post memes. They don't you know go on rants. They don't have a podcast. They didn't create content like I did, and therefore they're not going to have that following. Where right. the extra coverage, I don't know if it will show exactly their personality they show, like, this is one of the best lifters I've ever seen. Right. Like, right. this guy's a beast. This yeah. this girl's a beast. Like, this person, you follow this person just because they know how to squat bench and deadlift. That's right. really what that, uh, that extra coverage will do. And I think that's really good for the sport because, again, I'm going to make comparisons to other sports. There's marketable guys and there's really good players.
1: Players, yeah, absolutely. And sure.
0: you see it in every sport. There's a guy with a personality who's going to get marketed more and probably land more endorsements and make a little bit more money than this athlete. But the best person in that sport doesn't necessarily have to be marketable.
1: Right. Right. And
0: it does, it occasionally does happen in sports where it's like that person doesn't have personality, so they can't become, become the face of this organization, but they're still good and they have a massive fan base just because they go out there and play their sport so damn well.
1: So Right. Yeah, yeah. It definitely has to be one or the other. It's like because without without that, there's it's it's not gonna grow the way people want. And that's why I actually thought, you know, I the whole you know the constantly of idea of like in the Sheffield, I was like, okay, this is yeah. kind of step in the right direction. My only thing, and this isn't so much a criticism because I was very excited to to watch that and see that go down. I think it's more so, okay, that's cool. Y'all are doing this at this higher level, but I think you kind of almost have to do it from the ground up. Yeah, you gotta like get more of this other stuff going down here too. And, but yeah, I still think that's like, you know, the, the, the motive is a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And then the, you're going to have to get, cause I agree uh, with, you know, everything, but you're going to have to get cooperation of all the other regional people and all the other people in states yeah. and that just for dealing in Illinois, I'm not on any board or anything, but just talking to people in Illinois, like we can't even get like, we can't muster up like organization to get certain meats in Illinois. Right. Like, now we have to do with, with regions like okay how how are we going to have events in illinois that will qualify you for that regional thing where you're forced to do three or four meets a year
1: right
0: and i don't know if people care about it enough in order to do that but yeah and then it's going to vary state to state because i have i have no idea what's going on in michigan with usapl i have no idea what's going on in ohio with usapl um all i know is illinois and i was I didn't compete in USAPL for my first two years in powerlifting because of there's no USAPL presence. Right. It's very little. Right. It's Locally, I mean, there's three APF meets that take place within 30 minutes of my house. And then there's two or three USPA meets that take place within 40 minutes of my house. Like, I know there's only two Illinois meets. Yeah. One or two of them in Chicago, one's a novice meet, so I wouldn't compete at that one. Other one, downtown Chicago, and the other one is in like Bloomington. Right. Like, those are the only two, and those are, depending on where you live, could be really, really far, and it's only two, so.
1: Right. Yeah, it's a lot, it's like that for a lot of like my clients that are in the Cali area, where it's like, yeah, it's not that I don't want to do USAPL, it's just I'm not trying to drive two, three hours for a local meet if I don't have to, compared to like, you know, USPA meet is 15 minutes away, so. That's definitely a big part of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: we do this occasionally on Two White Lights technique tip a cue or tip that has helped the most on any of your three lifts. So, just pretty much your favorite one. And it's always good asking coaches this. Favorite one?
1: Hmm. I'm gonna keep this one. I'm gonna keep it simple. There's there's lots of cues and lots of tips that I think have helped me a lot on, on all three of my lists. But this is a simple one that I think will help most people. Most people want a bigger bench, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go with this. Um, so after you know, after you you know set up, you unrack the weight. You know, you set your glutes. However however you go about your setup, breathe big into your chest, and then I like to cue push your, your chest towards the bar as you're lowering it. A lot of people when they're benching, they're just thinking about like, okay, I'm just gonna lower the bar like you know to my chest. For me, I like to cue. If I'm thinking that I'm trying to push my chest towards the bar as I'm lowering it, you're you're one, keeping that chest more elevated. So that's going to help you maintain that bigger arch. Two, you're creating actually more tension. So that way, once you get that pause and you drive off the chest, you're going to feel way more powerful, way more explosive than if you don't do that. Mm -hmm. So simple, easy to apply cue. After you breathe thick into your chest, think about trying to push your chest towards the bar as you're lowering it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I've gotten that cue many times. I'm just such a bad bencher that I forget all the cues <laughs> that I, that, uh, that's been told to me. But yeah, I've, that, that is a really good one. Um, once you get to start thinking about that, that does help. That has helped me a lot because, uh, yeah, before getting coaching, I really had no idea how to bench. I was just benching, like, how I thought bench pressing should be, not bench pressing how it
1: ought to should be. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's something that's helped a lot of my, like, a lot of my clients, even some of my best clients, who are great at benching, it's like they can do everything else right, but they'll forget that one cue. And i will remember, "Hey, push your chest with the bar," and they do it like, "Oh crap, this feels way better." So
0: yeah, 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 the, yeah benching because there's so many cues that I have to remember, I often forget at least one every single time I bench. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a really good one. And I we do the technique tips, and we usually get some. We usually get them for deadlift. I don't ask. But people do it. People give me the technique advice for deadlifts. So thank you for, you know, taking the courage and placing it on to the bench. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, to White life's favorite, we are going to play word association. So I'm going to give you a word. You're going to give me the first word that comes to mind. And based on your word, we're probably going to get into sub-rants. So going to start very easy. Squat. Depth. Very common answer. It's either depth or high. Uh, Okay. Uh, Bench. Lockout. Lockout. What do you mean by that? Like,
1: actually fully locking out, like the bench like I, I i don't know man like I'm, I'm i'm big on that i see like soft elbows so oftentimes that it gets past so i'm like that shouldn't have that shouldn't have passed but
0: right. yeah. what's the rule though like you got to show the judges like where your arms are extended. Yeah,
1: whether your arm is whatever it's crazy dude i'll be in meets and I'll, i will see people be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tell him that I can only like lock, lock out to this point because that's, that's what I can do. And, and I'm watching, like, I know you can lock out fully, man. That's so, that's so stupid, but whatever. Yeah,
0: the best, like, the but I do picture like the perfect bench as being like a Jake Amanola kind of guy, where it's like because uh, he's world record older in the bench, but kind of like because he does have that bench body, where right. it's like you could tell his elbows aren't exactly o- ex- extended where he's pressing and then, like, just going like this, and you could see, like, the elbow is not completely in. But I I think he legitimately can't.
1: But probably why he's over 500 pounds, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Over
0: 500 pounds, better. For
1: the people where they truly, generally can like, I get That's what the rule is for. It's just, of course, with anything else, people will take advantage of that. So, yeah.
0: Yep. If you're not cheating, you're not trying in this sport. Deadlift. (laughs) Slack pull. Slack (sighs) pull. Steve, uh, how many how many times have you pulled on a deadlift bar?
1: How many times have I pulled on a deadlift bar? Uh, so when I did a USP uh, USPA meet back in was it December 2017? So for that whole prep, so like spent a few months doing that.
0: Okay, yeah, because yeah. I I competed in federation with a deadlift bar, then I transitioned to the USAPL, and when I tried to pull a slack out of a Ohio power bar, that was not fun. Yeah, that was one of the worst feelings of my life.
1: <laughs> See, that's the thing when you go from a deadlift bar to the stiff bar, it's it sucks. But when you were like me, you went from a stiff bar, having to go had to pull slack on that, to a deadlift bar. It's like, oh my god! Well, because
0: because I, oh, <laughs> I was so like unknowledge, I, I I was so lost in the sport where I never pulled the slack on anyway. I yeah. just lifted off the floor. And then, like, someone told me, he's like, okay, pull the slack out. So, like, I I was doing it wrong. I was more yanking on the bar than pulling the slack out. But I just remember, and and I always trained with a stiff bar, but I wouldn't train. I'm actually, I got my bar now uh, is a Texas Power Bar. Different Mm -hmm. from the Ohio Power Bar, bigger collar, more whip to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I assume that that was, it's better than the deadlift bar. And that's what I trained with was a Texas power bar. Then on certain days I would use a deadlift bar and my deadlift was that much better. But once I did the Ohio 20 kg bar, the the competition use bar, and I tried to pull slack out of it and I got shot forward immediately, I'm like, all right, this is going to take me a while to fully understand how to deadlift again. And, And if you really look at things, it has, uh, my first USAPL competition, I deadlifted seven hundred five, and prior at you know the deadlift bar was seven twenty two. Mm-hmm. So then my next competition, I missed seven twenty two with the stiff bar. I got seven eleven up. So right. Uh, right. and recently we have you know made that stiff bar PR higher than deadlift bar, but it did take a whole fucking year to really get Good it. Time. So,
1: yeah,
0: that's that slack is slack is key. Do you see a lot of people doing it wrong? Like pulling um, slack out wrong.
1: Yes, that's probably that's like the to me. Yeah, I don't even think that's the most that's the most common error I probably see people do on the deadlift. Out of everything else, because because so much of what else you need to do comes from that. Like, oh, you gotta probably set your hips. So if you're not pulling the slack out, you're probably gonna put your hips too low or too high, whatever it may be. So yeah, like there's a lot of people still ripping and ripping. There's even men I know like high level lifters. Yeah, who just because they're built a certain way, they kind of get away with it, but they i'm like you're still like shaving like 20 50 pounds off what you can probably pull pulling on the top end if you just learn how to do that
0: yeah i see i've, I've seen that a lot recently too is just like the yank on the bar when they yeah. think i'm like that's not just taking yourself way out of position while you do that so yeah.
1: um, or they just lock their lats in they think that's like pulling the slack out or whatever yeah it's like no
0: nah. yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, i like
1: that one all right usapl <laughs> greedy greedy <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's crazy, but I don't even know if that's because that's that's what I personally think. It's just you hear it so often, over and over and over, and that's like like when, like when I think of like USAPL, I just think oh, federation, he thinks greedy. So yeah,
0: you know what I? Because I, if you listen to early episodes of Two White Lights, when I was in the USAPL, I was definitely that person who didn't have a high opinion of the USAPL. I just recognized that I had the high competition, but I think yeah. what happens once you get involved in the Federation, you're just like, it's a little bit more serious than the other yes. Federations. Oh, absolutely. So therefore, they're not going to cater every little thing towards the Lifter. Um, and I still yeah. do criticize, I, I more, m- most of my criticisms have been IPF yet uh, recently. Um, I Agreed. think they focus on a lot of shit that doesn't matter, um, mm-hmm. thus making it a little bit more of a headache for the Lifter. But yeah, I was definitely, I think... I think if you grew up in a certain area and Illinois is, you know, not exactly a USAPL hotbed, it's more of a uh, USPA and APF, like a lifting type of place where you hear other competitors and then you kind of follow what the other competitors say. And then once you actually join the federation, you're like, okay, they do enough to make sure I'm coming first. Like, and I – and, like, and if it's serious, if it's a high-level competition like Nationals and the Arnold, they're not going to baby me. Because at that point, I should know exactly what I need to do.
1: Yeah. Um, to me, I'm like, there's definitely, there's always stuff that can be worked on. Absolutely. Um, there's always going to be things you can criticize with any type of business. But I can still definitely say, especially it's funny, after I did that one USP meet, I was like, yeah, I'm a USAPL boy. I'm, I'm not. Uh, there's, there's, that's, that's. I don't think there's a better federation currently. I really don't.
0: Yeah, and then uh, because local meets are local meets, and I tell us people all the time, exactly. local meets yeah. are local meets. It's going to vary from different state, from different you know towns yeah. and all that kind of stuff, depending on who the meat director is. All yeah. that stuff's going to vary. But when when I was at nationals, and the, you know they had such organization with the warm up room, with the iPad, like tell, like asking where I was because I'm in the hole. And I didn't have a coach, so they were the, the person just handling, you know, the back, one of the workers there. Like right. that's, i They don't do other things, I guess, to make the lifters come first, but that is huge. That's big. Yeah. That's organization. Yeah. They're making sure I compete properly. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I'm still sore at them coming backstage at Delaney Wallace telling him to change his singlet. And yeah. when yeah. he did his – Three squats already. Like what the hell? Yeah. Like like that that that's stuff. I'm it. like, what are you guys doing? Like that's stupid. Don't do that. That's dumb. And then telling yeah. me to watch my singlet at the the uh, the check-in. I was like, no, yeah. like uh, whatever. I'm like, I'm not gonna watch my singlet. If you guys want to kick me out of the federation because my singlet smells, that's fucking yeah. cool. That's but, it's,
1: it always seems like it's the petty stuff. That's yeah. what's funny about. It. Like I think the on the broader scale, the organizational stuff, I don't have that much to complain about. It's it's usually like these these smaller decisions or these paid decisions where I'm just it's like why like why are you doing
0: that? And so. I think once and I I yeah this this might get me in a little bit of trouble, but I think once you get more young people, like yeah. who because there are going to be us competitors who are going to get jobs in the USAPL because it happens. Uh, people are passionate right. about powerlifting, stay in powerlifting or help out as much as they can. Right. So once they get like a new generation of people in there. Yeah. They're going, it's just, it's going to change the generation. Because there's, sure. there, yeah, there are, if you look at, you know, some of the people checking your thing, 99% of them are pretty damn cool. Um, yeah. Where they joke around with you, but you occasionally get the old head in there is like, watch that single, that I can smell it from here. Like, yeah. one, you're smelling my knee sleeves, you prick. And two, <laughs> you're like, you can't, like, you can't, like, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, like, uh, right when I'm, the judge is going to smell me? Like, what's... That's right. like, it's an old head kind of thing. And I think the same thing with the singlet. Yeah. You know, he passed it, but then a judge saw it, had a problem with it, and then they come up to Delaney after his second or his bench opener, and they said, you have to change your singlet. Like, come on, guys. Don't... Yeah. Focus... I always say, focus on the shit that matters. Competitive yep. advantage. All that stuff. If a lifter is... Trying to game the system, cheat the system, call that person out, but not the person who's wearing a superhero singlet. That's right. let him let him do it's that.
1: Unnecessary. Yeah. All right.
0: Next one. Bodybuilding. Steroids. Ooh. All right. Would that if I asked you USPA? Would steroids be the first thing you said to? No. Okay. Bodybuilding. So why, uh, so why? So why
1: why that word? I think it's important to understand that, like, when I say bodybuilding, I'm not referring to, like, just, like, hypertrophy training. Yeah. Like, when I'm talking about bodybuilding, I'm talking about, like, the actual competition of, like, bodybuilding. Um, And the reason for me is probably because so, like I said, before I got into, like, you know, online coaching and anything like that, when I was just doing, like, you know, the training and my first started my YouTube channel was very informative, like that, so much of what my content was focused on was, like, myth-bustings and preventing actual facts, information, and so many of these myths... That I would have to like bust, and and people would try to like argue me counter. It would be like, oh, but this guy says this, this guy says this, and all these guys are roided up bodybuilders, like yeah. known roided up bodybuilders. And it's like I got to this point where I almost had like a disdain for bodybuilding because it's just like, bro, people have confused actual health and fitness with bodybuilding. They're not the same things. Bodybuilding is a competitive endeavor, and yeah, you know, people are gonna you know use PDS and stuff like that to get be better. But it's like it's like, oh, well, so and so said if you just do this. Like, like, for example, I have people like, oh, no, you don't have to, like, you know, you don't have to progressively overload. You have to do more workload over time. It's like if you just keep cutting your rest time shorter and, you know, you're pushing yourself, blah, 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 blah you'll grow know, like, look, this guy hasn't added, he hasn't changed his workout structure in, like, years. Look how much bigger he's gotten. Yeah, because he keeps upping the dose, bro. Still <laughs> can't wipe his own ass. Like, come on. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, I, because I was into, when I started getting into fitness, I was into, like, the bodybuilding aspect. Granted, it was... A, a lot of the pages I followed on YouTube—it was mostly, comp- yeah—it was actually 100% YouTube was natural bodybuilding pages, uh, three DMJ, Lane Or and all that stuff. Right, so, right. like, it was natural things, but I, yeah, it was. I was at least smart enough to have like that eye where if a roided out guy, if he's telling like a certain thing, like I, I can understand that, that doesn't work. Right. I mean, exactly. where it just wouldn't work for me. Um, but I do like um, powerlifting way more honest about uh, the use of steroids. Yeah. yeah. That is that is one, even though, and I've said it, I, I might have a, like a little bigger episode on, you know, my, my viewpoints on steroids becoming a norm in powerlifting. That's my issues with that. But mm-hmm. the fact that just, I, I, although the jokes can get cliche and annoying at times, you know, you get a power on here. They're not going to be like, oh, "No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not." Sure, can you not ask me about steroids? Can you yeah. not like? they'll I'm not going to ask about steroids, but if I ask them, like, "Okay, you're obviously not, you know not natty," they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." Yeah. Like we're yeah. in uh, I there was so many interviews of bodybuilders, like old bodybuilders, where steroid was so. Uh, taboo. They couldn't bring it up, and you knew they were on steroids, but they had to say, like, no, yeah. I'm not on steroids. Kids yeah, don't it was need it was that it was stuff.
1: All sponsorships, man. The <laughs> kids look up
0: to me. <laughs> yeah, like he, like he and you kind of see them, like, uh, just, like, fucking begrudgingly, like, oh, shit, I have to now, like, lie and, like, say something stupid, and their peers know that they're lying and saying something stupid, too.
1: Yeah.
0: uh, it, yeah. uh it had I mean it happened with uh with Thor. I I've told this story on this like yeah. the thing where he's asked in the ESPN interview like if he took steroids and he's like yeah. <laughs> and the the interviewer was like, "What? You take st-? <laughs> like it's like yeah. why do you?" And then like he could tell that like, "Oh, wait, this fucking idiot doesn't know that" All, yeah. fuck, all the greatest strongmen in the world definitely need to take steroids. Yeah, and then he could just tell you like, I'm not. All right, I'm not answering any more questions on this because he sure. answered honestly. He's like, yeah, and then yeah. the and then the, the reporter was like, the you know maybe hopefully he could uh get get away from his drug use and do this, uh, naturally or whatever, and, like, oh you're, like, God, you're, like, seeing, like, all no, our communities, like, you're a fucking idiot, shut up, yeah. like, you, yeah. you're, you're a sports reporter who wasn't given the assignment of covering the NFL, and they put you in this strongman thing, and you have no idea what's happening, that's what happened, right, right. but, yeah, that's a good one, uh, nutrition,
1: uh, calories, macros,
0: <laughs> how, Oh, me and Delaney had a really good conversation last episode on this. How important do you say it is to a lifter's success?
1: Nutrition? Yeah. Oh, extremely. Yeah. Extremely. Like I – so it was funny. In a Q&A um, that I did, I got asked what I thought the most important things for a lifter's recovery were. And I put sleep and stress as the first two, and the nutrition comes right after that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's vitally important. It's a big reason why like – so – Like, with my coaching, one of the things that I'll offer is, like, I have, like, nutrition only, and that's for people, for, like, because there's a lot of counseling coaches who don't do nutrition, so I offer that for people who just need nutrition only, but if you're a full coaching client for me, nutrition is a part of it, it comes with it, because I think that's very, very important. It's, like, if I'm trying to ultimately, no matter what level you're at, trying to maximize your performance, then I need to maximize your nutrition just from the standpoint of, like, health, energy, but also your body composition that's mm-hmm. huge it's like there's there's a big difference between sitting at the top of your weight class and say like you know 12 13 body fat versus sitting at the top of your weight class 18 percent body fat yeah you know what i mean like if you're 183 pounds 12 percent body fat versus 18 percent body fat you're gonna have way more muscle mass on you yeah. and it's like i tell people all the time like listen like realistically if you want to be like if you're trying to be like the best lift in a weight class right you want to be the um the shortest leanest most jacked guy obviously you can't control your height um but and when i say lean i'm not talking about like bodybuilding like like sub 10 percent. but it's like you want to have good body composition on you because it's like if you're sitting way above your weight class it's due to excessive body fat and you know some extra body fat's great for recovery but excessive body fat it's like okay let's pull that back lean up a little bit and build that back up to that weight with actual muscle mass because that's going to benefit you more muscle mass more potential strength like that's it's that simple. So to me, I think it's, I think it's very important. I don't think it'll necessarily, you know, make or break any particular lifter. And it kind of depends on what we're comparing. Like, okay, are you number two compared to number one? Like if you're, you know, ranked number 12, I don't think cleaning up your nutrition is going to suddenly make you be number three, but in terms of just being the best that you can be at any given time, I think it's very important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what uh, I've, I've said many times where, you know, powerlifters get the, uh, the stigma of your, they're fat guys who lift a lot of weights. And then yeah. like, have you guys watched the USAPL competition and watch people under the super heavyweight class? Yeah. They're pretty fucking jacked. Uh, yeah. I mentioned Ashton Roska at the midway point of the show. He's Optimus Prime. The dude is jacked beyond belief. Russ or he has so much body, co- like he just put so yeah. much muscle on his body, uh, there's, uh, it's countless. Like, you no, know, they're, they're very muscular. Like, they have yeah. to lift weights, and in order to lift weights more efficiently, you have to have muscle to you do that.
1: Muscle mass. They're yeah. on top of that craftsmanship, bro. Yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. All right. Pug the goat. <laughs>
1: Does laughing count? Like does that does that count as well? Is that yeah, honest yeah, honestly, like just like like laughter. Like, like that's that's what it is to me. And here's why, not for the reason people think, like, dude, a lot of people really hate Pug. They really do not like him. I have absolutely no issues with Pug. Yeah. Uh, never. me and Michael talk about this all the time. We do not dislike Pug at all. Like, the most we ever maybe Worst, sure how we felt about him was going into worlds because we didn't really know who he was. And we just know like, yo, who's this dude? Like, you know, talking noise or whatever. But even then, like, we just aren't very bothered by that type of stuff. And my thing is, look, okay, when the dude has come out on podcasts and stuff and openly talked about, hey, this is why I do it. I'm going to bring attention. I'm doing this, this. I'm like, I can't, well then why would I be upset? Like he's you basically openly admitted that it's not personal. You're not attacking people. And 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 even though I sometimes think sometimes it can get kind of ridiculous, I'm usually more entertained by it than mm-hmm. anything else. Like especially when it's him and Taylor. Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. That is so funny to me. Cause it's like it's like it's like it's like it's it's like no offense to Taylor, but sometimes he seems like so really bothered by it. like he's really getting under his skin. And I'm like, bro, like you're giving him what he wants, like by 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 getting upset, or even when you're like, I'm not gonna mention his, like I'm gonna do a whole story, like oh I'm not gonna mention his name, bro. We know who you're talking about. You just dedicated five stories to this dude. Like what are you doing? Like it's just it's hilarious to me because I'm like I I don't I don't feel. Like any negativity towards him, like at all, like I like I I'll, I'll, I'll have conversations with him, like if he hits me up and we talk about something. Like, I'll talk to him. I, I have no deeper issue with him at all. I, I never have. Um, like I said, to me, the whole, and it's just different. So it's like on one end, I get what he's doing and I like that. It, it objectively, you can't say it's not brought more attention to like you know the '74s, right? So that's for sure. But to me, from a background where, like I said, like you know, like I was in like MMA and boxing stuff mm-hmm. like that, I'm in. I come from a background where, like if you talk noise to somebody, you can actually do something about it. It's yeah. like, cause we're going to fight this out. You know what I mean? And powerlifting, bro, it's like, yeah, you can play, oh, you can play head games with them. Blah, blah. At the end of the day, man, you're a temp selector, you're a temp selector. You can't yeah. go and stop someone from being stronger than you. So to a degree, I think the trash talk can only do so much, but I do think it, it is helping. So it's yeah. like, I'm not someone where I'm like a Pug fan where I'm like, oh yeah, I think it's great, it's revolutionary. But I'm also not this dude where I'm like, oh man, I hate that guy, man. He's such a cocky, prick. blah, blah. I'm just like, I think, I think people, I think it's funny that Michael fans or fans of me hate pug more than we do. Yeah. Cuz we don't we don't hate him. It's like it's just funny to me. When I think about pugs it's funny.
0: <laughs> well, and I asked that question and I used that cuz I knew it was going to get like a laughter response out of you because and I had to ask you because I bought it up at, you know, a point of the show where it's interesting if you get any of the feedback because yeah. you're the coach and again, I've said it and hopefully he's okay with me mentioning this, but Joe gets Feedback yeah. from interviews that I did with Pug, and I'm on the same boat with you. He's been on Two White Lights twice. Usually, when you're on Two White Lights twice, I like you, like yeah. I want you to come on because we have really good conversations, and he has yeah. said that. And if and again, if you look at the ratings of our shows, Pugs are the highest.
1: Yep. But
0: yep. the funny thing is, Joe was like, he messaged me through our when we did our check-in. He was was like, oh, by the way, that episode you did with Pug, I'm getting a lot of DMs about that, like he's getting the dms not pug and it's hilarious so i want to see him like if the shit talking expands where marcellus is getting dms
1: oh all the time where
0: it's it's like it's like so what's your and i knew that michael and him aren't exactly you know volatile they are pretty good and he's i mean when we played fuck mary kill on two white lights uh Pug said he's a handsome motherfucker, so um, yeah, there's there's there's, yeah. <laughs> there's that part too. So he thinks he's handsome. That's 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 a positive, but yeah. <laughs> I find it I do find it pretty funny, and I always have to ask that with coaches of other athletes. Like it's yeah. it's crazy that you're receiving the static from something that someone else said about your lifter. Yeah, and I think yes. and a lot of time, aside <clears throat> from Atwood, and I do agree because Atwood has the best trump card. Yeah. and he doesn't play it. It doesn't like play it, it, it does get to him, and it makes me laugh because he is older. Um, I'm yeah, like, it's... I thought his thin skin will be a little thicker, you know, for a yeah. semi pro athlete or professional athlete played in the Canadian Football League. I felt like yeah. it's like, dude, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna embrace just... in this. Like well, the thing you should say, it's like, hey, next, if you could total within 20 kgs of me, I'll be impressed. Yeah, that's all that would have like, to say to end shit talk. Yeah. It's
1: like yeah, I'm, I'm the like, greatest dude, in the world. You're the, I'm like, if you're the number one and you're the champion, just have that mindset, have that swagger. I would, you. know I would I mean? giggle like, like, the entire time. Don't, don't be so. Don't be so easily threatened. That's how it comes across to me. And it's funny. But yeah, I'll, do, I'll get DMs all the time. Anytime Pug posts something or if he tags Michael in or makes a joke that's made. Sometimes it's not even directed towards Michael. There have been times where he's directed something towards Taylor and people somehow misinterpreted it and put it towards Michael. And I'll get all these DMs. Bro, I can't wait for y'all to shut this guy up. This is so stupid. It's so disrespectful. We're so sweet to address this. And I'm like, oh, y'all are tripping. Chill out. It's not that serious. Like, not even remotely.
0: And, and it shows that it's a positive because you have fans. Yeah. like there's it's, fans it's, it's, yeah, it's
1: what I'm, saying. I'm like i'm like y'all doing this is showing like y'all doing this if anything is making me like him more not less because like y'all care about this stuff like it's 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 funny to me so
0: yeah yeah i uh like again just the fact that coaches received like the same. like joe, poor joe had to go on king of the fucking lifts and then they were asking about ricky and then he's like has to explain to them like ricky's a Big boy, I don't control what he says. Like I'm not, I'm not Don King, and this like, all right, here's what you're gonna say today. Like he's not like I'm, I'm his coach. Like yeah. what am I gonna say? Yeah. Like I, I'm not telling him to say these things. He's a grown man. He could say whatever the hell he wants, and he's yeah. getting on. King of Lips has to cover the Arnold or the recap of the Arnold, and then of course he gets a question. <laughs> for ricky and he's like i'm just his coach man It's like i do his programming yeah. his check-ins we're obviously friends and all but uh i'm yeah. not exactly his keeper like shit man yeah. like i'm not gonna say like hey ease it down a bit it's like no yeah. it's no, like, he, it's, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. like yeah, yeah he's, he's he's his own man but um yeah uh talking hour 40 thank you man for coming on
1: oh absolutely appreciate you for having me on man
0: no problem, and if you guys want to come in contact with uh, with Marcellus at the Swole Fessor, give him a follow uh, YouTube channel. What's the uh, what's the what's the handle on that?
1: Uh, same thing, the Swole Fessor. One word.
0: Nice. Keep it simple. Uh, good luck. Stay safe. And again, thank you for coming on. Yes, sir. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.
1: Shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take her a away. Off on the natural charge, bone voyage. Yeah, from the home of the Dodger Brooklyn Squad.